0: listening to Phenalysis, a science fiction and fantasy TV podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Dawson. And we are talking about The Hundred in this episode. We're going to be talking about episodes 304 through 306. That's Watch the Thrones, Hakeldama, and Bitter Harvest. Harvest.
1: I know that one because Bitter Harvest is one of my favorite episodes.
0: Which is interesting because you were just telling me that only about half of that episode you really (laughs) enjoyed, right? But I love that half. <laughs> it's a really great half. That, that half of that episode is what made us decide to start doing the podcast.
1: It's true. It's true. That was a turning point for us in our <laughs> wonderful decision at episode 306 to start doing a podcast about The 100.
0: <sighs> so many mixed feelings after that. But, but we're going to try and stay as spoiler-free as possible, talking about only things that happen up through episode 306. So we should actually start off, there are some things that we forgot to talk about last time, which are going to be relevant for these episodes. So let's rewind a little bit and talk about Jaha and Allie, because I totally forgot that we were supposed to talk about them, because frankly, it wasn't all that interesting to me in the first few episodes.
1: Yeah, there was that, there was like a struggle to make that interesting. It's now, you know, not to give away any spoilers, but now that we know where it was going, it became interesting, but it was sort of a afterthought i think through through the first six episodes
0: it's true because they they actually are not in a couple of episodes right and i remember after the episodes aired somebody mentioned that they weren't in them and i went oh yeah (laughs) like i just wasn't thinking about it because i was so engrossed in the stuff with polis that it, it just didn't even cross my mind until later and then it's like oh right what yeah. what is happening with them? And mostly, it was traveling that we missed. But
1: yeah, taking the boat, yeah. traveling down the road.
0: Because what happened is Jaha had found Ali at the end of of uh, season two, and then they incorporated Murphy into that storyline. And basically, Jaha just kind of turned into like some crazy guy with a savior complex.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's gonna. Fill the City of Light, right? That was what he said.
0: With a nuclear-powered computer backpack.
1: Right. Kind of. That's right.
0: But he returns to Arcadia in episode 305 with his savior complex and computer backpack.
1: Important fact to note is we learn that there is no death in the City of Light, that people who die appear in the City of Light after they die, still.
0: Yes. And whole and without pain and etc., And all of those other terrifying things
1: (laughs) that are, it's probably fine, right? That's probably fine. When people's pain disappears and there's no such thing as death anymore, that's never caused a problem of any kind.
0: Oh, man. (laughs) And of course, there's the the chips that they're trying to get people to swallow, although I guess they don't swallow them. I I think there was a a tweet from somebody about how they dissolve, like, breath strips
1: (laughs) Yes. And then there was there were lots of fun jokes about like the minty fresh breath of the City of Light people. Yes. City of Lighters? What do we call those people? Jaha's Acolytes, I guess?
0: I guess. I don't know. But the the little chips have the infinity symbol on them, which, of course, is apparently some sort of like sacred symbol to the grounders. Because yes. why not?
1: Sure, why not? Because because of the drawing of those stories together which which does eventually culminate in a in a nicely knit together set of pieces.
0: Right, and that is when it gets more interesting to me. Agreed. Although Abby's
1: reaction to Jaha is maybe one of my favorite things.
0: <laughs> it's true. But yeah, Abby's comment to Kane about "Oh, ask his friend who is apparently at the city of light now."
1: <laughs> Pan to dead body. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That was that was a good
1: line. <laughs> I um, I am a huge fan of Paige Turco. I really enjoy her in Person of Interest and many other things. And me too. So it's it's great to see her as Abby. I love I love seeing her. She just has that excellent sort of grounded practicality about her that's really enjoyable to watch.
0: And if you don't watch Person of Interest, why aren't you? Because yeah, it's get on awesome that. and Paige Turco's in it and she's great in it.
1: And many other wonderful people.
0: I mean she's a she's a recurring character. She's not a regular, but the episodes that she's in are some of my favorites. Agreed. I love Zoe Morgan so much.
1: She's pretty great, and her character Zoe Morgan is pretty great, and there's a dog who is the best character on the show. His name is Bear. (laughs) So the long and the short of it is, go watch Person of Interest if you're not.
0: Yes. Anyway, moving on to other things that happened in The (laughs) 100.
1: You're going to make me get on my soapbox again, aren't you?
0: (laughs) About what? (laughs) We're going to talk about Gina. (sighs) Poor Gina, who is a woman in a refrigerator. And that refrigerator is Mount Weather.
1: It's just... It was just the most straightforward of refrigerator moments. It was like from the moment you met her, you were like, "Oh, they're going to kill her to further Bellamy's storyline." Like that she had no other purpose. There was which was unfortunate because um the woman who played her was spectacular. I don't know her name unfortunately.
0: I know they went to the trouble of making her a, a cool character. Like I liked Gina. Agreed. But she might as well have been wearing a red shirt.
1: Yeah, like from day 1, she just sort of appeared and was Bellamy's love interest kind of out of nowhere and actually really out of nowhere apparently happened in the three months we missed in the time jump
0: which in and of itself i don't mind like i would have liked to have gotten to know gina
1: agreed i think she was an interesting character she was a great foil against raven which was lovely raven with her super genius engineering stuff and gina kind of going hey i'm just a grunt you know like they were great together and watching them you know hang out and give each other flack and generally have a good time was wonderful and gina seemed like a very grounded enjoyable presence i would have really liked to see her develop as a character but but basically all
0: these things you're saying means that she's doomed from the beginning
1: pretty much yes and it was such a transparent attempt
0: i don't know this is that there are not a lot of
1: things that i just like Fundamentally condemn as bad storytelling. And this sort of thing is something I fundamentally condemn as bad storytelling. Like, creating a character for people to fall in love with so that you can kill them in order to further some guy's storyline is just not good, good tale telling to me.
0: And if you are unfamiliar with the women in refrigerators trope, we are going to put a link in our show notes to. A description for you rather than go into it here it's not that complicated it's it's basically killing off a usually a woman who's like the love interest or somehow related to a male character killing her off for the purpose of furthering that guy's storyline
1: and for her to have no other story of her own <laughs> like even above to me i think the most heinous part of everything with gina was yes, she's very transparently like was very transparently fridged to further Bellamy's storyline, but also they didn't even give her her own interesting storyline before that, which was like at least would have been some crumbs <laughs> anyway, the whole thing was to me terrible. and I think Gina was very poorly served, and that character deserved better. That's my two cents.
0: She belongs to fan fiction now.
1: She does. And she will hopefully be treated well. I haven't read any fan fiction with Gina in it. If you have good fan fiction with Gina in it, send it my way. I want to read it.
0: So shall we move on to talk about the episodes four through six?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Okay, so let's talk about Pike's rise to power, because that's one of the major things that happens in these episodes. And it makes me furious. <laughs> that's, fair. that's fair. I mean, it's supposed to it's supposed to make us furious, I think. but uh, I just. First of all, when we start episode 4, I just have so many questions because why weren't Abby and Kane more forthcoming about the events at the summit? Because it seems like they didn't bother to tell anybody what was going on. You know, at the memorial there's like oh, there are grounders surrounding surrounding our base. Like what's what's going on? And like did they not tell them what happened?
1: It was a very strange set of circumstances. <laughs> that brought Bike to power. Um <laughs> you would think that Abby and Kane would have come back and said, you know, the attack was perpetrated by the Asgada, and like justice is being served, and they're being arrested they've been arrested, and you would think they would have talked about what happened, but it does kind of appear the
0: Commander is sending a peacekeeping force to help keep us safe. And we have also joined their coalition, and they will help protect us. They're with us now. Don't you think that would be how you'd start the conversation when you get back home?
1: Yes. <laughs> I mean, the other I suppose the other question is, and this is something that potentially is a possibility. I like to give the benefit of the doubt to, to storytellers. Potentially possible that Kane and Abby made a slice and dice decision and decided not to give out a lot of information because they didn't want to alarm people. So it's possible that they didn't talk about it in order to try to sort of keep everybody cool. But as we all know, that doesn't tend to work too well.
0: Well, I'm just thinking, like, Mount Weather was blown up. People are already freaked out. Don't you think it would be more comforting to say this wasn't the Grounders as a whole? Like, the Grounders as a whole have accepted us among them and are now coming to help protect us from this offshoot group that is trying to kill us. Like, don't you think that would be more comforting? I would find that more comforting.
1: Yeah. I'm trying, Chris. I'm trying know, to find a reason why why they would have not said all of those things to their people in like a big meeting, you know, where they can let everyone know.
0: Because it's for storytelling purposes, because I think withholding that information then helped contribute to Pike being elected later.
1: Can you imagine a group of people electing Pike, I say, as I sit in the United States where... We have some people running for president that aren't that different. <laughs> oh, man. Sometimes the frightening relevance of the 100 stresses me out. This is your regular once an episode reminder to please go vote when that opportunity arises in your state. I literally think I've said that every episode and I'm going to keep saying it because the applicability of politics <laughs> And fear-mongering and xenophobia and all of those things is terrifying.
0: I'm so depressed now, Dawson.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry. My bad. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) In any event, back in the fictional world where these things are less stressful.
0: (laughs) Where we can at least rewrite them if they end up horribly. Anyway. (laughs) So, of course, part of Pike's rise to power is that he recruits Bellamy to his cause, and of course Bellamy, as you were talking about last episode, you know, Bellamy's at least got some I don't know, some influence, let's say, with the other arkers. Arkers? I don't I never know what to call them.
1: They're all Arcadians now, I guess. Because they live in Arcadia.
0: Arcadians, there we go.
1: Yeah, I think um Bellamy with Clark gone, Bellamy is is who people look to as the most experienced person on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to, you know, to me, at least, I feel like we have to assume that Bellamy and Clark and the other kids from the dropship who have survived all have some, probably have a particular kind of legendary status at this, at this point, having survived what they survived and, you know, surviving that weather and, and all of that. So I kind of have to assume that they have their own fair share of, of influence.
0: Right. Having survived with limited resources before everybody else showed up. Yeah.
1: Right. Exactly sort of considered experts on the on the grounders, and that kind of thing.
0: And then, of course, another contributing factor to Pike's rise to power is that he's exploiting the fears and prejudices against the grounders, which I suppose from Pike's perspective makes sense.
1: That's the trouble with fear-mongering, is it, it does often stem from a legitimate fear of something, and Pike has reason to feel that way. And it it can be hard to broaden your view outside of what you've known and experienced. And by all accounts, when Farm Station came down in Ice Station Territory, they experienced some really horrible things at the hands of the Grounders. So I see how it happens. It's also to me like that's such an interesting exploration of why fear mongering should always be suspicious, mm-hmm. because it does lead so rapidly to. You know, interning your own people, <laughs> slaughtering innocent armies—like <laughs> it—it it moves so fast in, into extremism mm-hmm. that when you are operating out of fear, you're almost certainly not making good and rational decisions. And I think that's a that's an interesting thing that is is explored through Pike's storyline.
0: And then, speaking of all that, there's that whole line that he has about "this land is ours now," and I'm just kind of like, but. <sighs> By what standards, right? I mean, granted, you crashed there. And that wasn't really necessarily your choice. But I just... <sighs> uh,
1: Pike. Pike, you colonial bastard. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, that's pretty much it.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have the right answer to that. And it's an interesting one. One of the things I think about is like, they didn't have a choice with where they landed. But so what do they do? Right? What do you do? Do you... Take the land by force, which is what Pike has decided to do. Do you try to negotiate for peace, which is what Cain tries to do and then Clark tries to do? Do you do leave and go seek out unoccupied lands? Are there unoccupied lands?
0: Which is what Jaha was trying to do.
1: Yep. Good point. Good point. So there's. I mean, I think there's an exploration here of all of the all of the ways we respond to what happens when we are kind of thrown together into the mess of humanity and and what that means and how we fight or don't. That wasn't an answer to anything. It was just a lot of questions, which is all I have about it.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, like, there aren't really right or wrong answers or possibly even just answers at all here. This is just talking about the stuff that's going on in the show Yeah, and Pike being an ass. (laughs) I mean, ultimately, regardless
1: of who you agree with, and let's be real, I agree with Kane cuz team Kane all the way. Um <laughs> ultimately regardless of who you who you think is taking the right path, I don't think anyone could like reasonably condone Pike's actions, you know? I mean, he he goes and slaughters an army in their sleep and interns the grounders, the sick grounders who have come to them for aid, who are who are asked to come to them for aid.
0: And Lincoln who was on their side.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think anyone can, while we may understand where he comes from, I don't think anyone could, like, justifiably argue that this is the right set of actions to take, you know? Right. <laughs> In that scenario.
0: Now, the one good thing that did come of Pike's election was that we got the rebellion. Yes. Led by Dawson's hero, Kane.
1: <laughs> I just love Kane. Maybe it's the beard. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think he's great. Uh
0: Kane's good people, so.
1: Cain is good people. What's funny is Kane was not always good people, and, you know, he grew and changed and learned and became who he is today, and I think that's spectacular. That's also probably why I have such a deep affection for Cain, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I also didn't used to be a very good person, and I have gotten better. I am no lo- not perfect by any means, but I am no longer as much of a not-decent person <laughs> as I used to be.
0: Aw, Dawson.
1: So that's a good... I mean that I have I think that's true of most of us right like when you when we're young we make dumb decisions and we it's true follow silly impulses and we're not always good people but um hopefully you grow and change and get better and and so I like that I like that that's a storyline for Kane and it's a core part of who he is
0: right learning from our mistakes yes
1: yeah and it really is like sort of the foundational cornerstone of who he is and that we got to see that that happen way back in season 1 it was really cool
0: mm mm-hmm. mhm way back in season one which was like six months ago <laughs>
1: Shh. way way back in season one a lot has happened okay i know i know
0: I'm <laughs> mostly i'm reminding myself because i yeah. always forget because it seems weird that that was six months ago
1: that it wasn't that long ago yeah <laughs> but so anyway, much has gone on they fell from the sky yo
0: <laughs> i know but yeah so kane's like the mastermind of the rebellion which is kind of awesome And so he's coordinating mostly the young people. I mean, we don't know who all is in the rebellion at this point, but we mostly see, what, Miller and Octavia. Yes. And I guess a little bit of Abby.
1: Yeah, yeah. We don't see enough of Abby. There was that weird moment where as soon as Pike got elected, Abby kind of disappeared. Yeah. We only saw her once or twice, and I was a little bummed about that.
0: Yep. We love Paige Trico, so it's always... The more Abby, the better. Yes, agreed. (laughs) I mean, not that that's the only reason, but...
1: Nope, that's it. That's the whole reason. I'm (laughs) That's... (laughs) There are many reasons. Anyway. Uh, In any event, I want to just really uh, talk about how great it is that they give Octavia that wonderful moment where she has to crawl through the walls and out the gate.
0: I love it so much.
1: And she says i was born for this and it's just and her whole face
0: just lights up when kane's like here (laughs) yep i'm going to have you sneak out
1: yeah it was such a wonderful octavia moment and yet another you know another character who's had the spectacular character arc and it's cool to see to see her touching on her roots her roots being living in the floor stored in the floor
0: (laughs) yeah that poor poor girl poor octavia but now, I mean, I, I love that it's sort of come full circle in that sense. Like, here's, you know, you have to do what you grew up doing, but now you're doing it for the greater good.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like, even as I even as we were saying poor Octavia, like, not really, because look at like, she can take care of herself. She doesn't need my pity. <laughs> <you know>? Right.
0: <laughs> no, she's like thriving at this. I know. It's It's, awesome. it's
1: great. It's, it's great stuff.
0: And I do love that, because the whole reason she had to sneak out was that Indra had radioed Kane, And I love that Indra is sort of like a satellite member of this rebellion.
1: (laughs) I like that. Indra the satellite.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But then, of course, I mean, because Octavia has direct connections to Indra, too. I liked that scene where she had to go and and finds Indra. And Indra's been injured, and I have a lot of feelings about it.
1: Yeah, Indra's been injured, and... (sighs) bellamy was there when they murdered 300 people and
0: <laughs> but spared indra
1: but spared indra which is this is like on that list of things where i talk about one of the things about this show is nobody is wholly good or wholly evil right there's that everybody's trying to do what they think is right and usually not doing good things <laughs> but then we all have our lines and i guess that was bellamy's was that he couldn't couldn't kill indra
0: well, because I think she also said that Bellamy wanted them to spare the wounded. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, Mike wouldn't let him.
1: It's been clear that Bellamy has some reluctance about what's happening, which hasn't stopped him from letting it happen. Let's be clear here.
0: Right. And actively participating.
1: Exactly. This is not an excuse of Bellamy's behavior. But yeah, for sure, there's been definite indications that he, is, he has qualms about what they're doing.
0: Right. I don't know that there are many... Scenes as chilling as the sight of the ten, wasn't it? Ten that went to go kill those three hundred people, coming back through the gate of Arcadia.
1: What a scene that was,
0: covered in blood splatters and not remotely injured at all.
1: Yeah, yeah. I have nothing to add to that. I agree. It was incredibly chilling. It's right up there. I have a few scenes that are that like really hit like a punch in the gut. There was that one, and it's right up there with. Several episodes ago, when, I guess it was the episode before, when they do the shot of farm station people in Mount Weather, and they do that same shot they did the very first shot we saw of the Mount Weather people.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Those sort of things where you display in an almost innocuous way, this sort of heinous reality of humanity is is very chilling.
0: So moving on to Murphy and Amori. I don't know that I have a lot to say about them, other than, you know, here Murphy's back to his delinquent ways, lying in the road.
1: Yeah, I have to say, I like Murphy. I mean, not that I think he's a good person. I think his character is interesting. I also think Richard Harmon plays him so well that it's hard not to like him. He does such a good job with the character.
0: Mm-hmm. I like Richard Harmon a lot during the first season. I just, I wanted to punch Murphy in the face constantly. <laughs> yeah, which is how you're supposed to feel about him, so good job. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Not unlike the Jaha Ali storyline before it got knitted in with everything, I'm, I struggle with the Murphy-Imori story. It's so disconnected from mm-hmm. the things that are happening.
0: Right. Until the end of, or I guess maybe midway through episode six.
1: Right. Yeah, you start to see some hints of connection there, and then it does get knitted back into the tale, but they definitely I mean in the in the first six episodes there were there were lots of sort of stray storylines that, that, that were clearly being set up to be something but weren't in and of themselves terribly fascinating and to me Murphy and Amori was one of them.
0: I agree with you. I mean it's like I'm happy that Murphy found a place, at least temporarily, with Amori, since they had the little mini storyline in season two. So I'm I'm happy that they went back to that, I guess. But, yeah. I guess watching it, it was sort of like a why is this relevant? (laughs) Yeah. As you were saying. And then, yeah, finally it's like, oh, he's the bridge between these two storylines because he's the one who has the City of Light chip with the infinity symbol on it. And so we learn that that's a sacred symbol and he gets taken by the grounders.
1: Right, right, right. I'm still waiting for payoff on the whole thing with Amori, where like what was the what was the purpose of having her plan to leave to go find her brother, but then come back? I was confused by that, and she seemed off kilter when she came back, so then I was confused by that as well, but maybe it was just an odd series of dialogue. I don't know the whole thing felt very off to me
0: mm, mm-hmm. and
1: I'm still waiting to see if it really pays off in a major. I mean I realized they paid off Murphy's thing, but even then it I don't know. it's hard for me because it's such a transparent story device versus feeling like an organic story that's really happening Mm, mm -hmm. but maybe that maybe that's just because i'm a writer and so (laughs) i hyper critical of those things
0: (laughs) well but i mean is you're right though i mean the whole going to find her brother thing she's not gonna find him right
1: i mean i guess eventually maybe she'll go to the city of light and find him
0: (laughs) i guess i don't know
1: (laughs) So yeah, I, maybe that will pay off later, I don't know, but it that it felt strange for her to leave and then come back
0: mm-hmm. really quickly. Maybe she'll get drawn back into the Allie storyline again somehow, since Allie has hired her before, but I mean, Could I don't be. know.
1: Could be. So yeah, that's my whole take on the Murphy and thing. I was like, meh about it. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I really like Murphy as a character.
0: So let's talk about the big thing, or at least I think what we think of as the biggest thing of of- the series really the clark storyline which is of course tied in with lexa and polis
1: clark is always clark is the best part of the show i'm just i'm sorry it's just true
0: i mean she it's her show
1: it's her show she's the lead she is the lead (laughs) and she's an awesome character i don't know people who love other characters that's fine love your stuff do you you do you (laughs) But to me, Clark is the best part of the show. And so anywhere that Clark's story goes is is fascinating to me. And following her journey in Polis all the way to Arcadia and everything that happens with Bellamy all the way to back to Polis again is really, to me, is, is where the, the fun stuff is.
0: <laughs> I agree with you. I mean, I find Clark just fascinating. So this storyline starts off in episode four. Queen Naya has been brought in and... Played by the awesome Brenda Strong. So good. And I was like, ooh, Brenda Strong. She's going to yeah. get some sort of great storyline this season, right? No, she's got some episode. <laughs> one
1: episode.
0: <laughs> they bring her in at the end of episode three, and she is dead by the end of episode four. Yeah. Which surprised me, I gotta say. I will say, <laughs> of all the
1: deaths on The Hundred, that one was the most surprising to me. I was not prepared.
0: Surprising, but satisfying, right?
1: (laughs) Yes. Incredibly satisfying. I mean, I... That whole... That whole story arc. Everything in Watch the Thrones with everything from the challenge to Lexa. I mean, Lexa is essentially playing politics, right? And, you know, Titus says, stop this. And she goes, no, no, let her make her move. And... Everything involved in that entire storyline was so well played. I, I mean, and then and then Clark, oh, Clark as a political figure doing her politicking and manipulations is one of my favorite things to watch. And Eliza Taylor does it so well that watching her absolutely be so Clark about everything and fundamentally (laughs) refuse to allow Lexa to maybe die (laughs) was. Really, truly spectacular in my mind. I just... That piece of her character is so powerful and so enjoyable to watch.
0: It's a good... Good tale.
1: Sorry, this podcast is turning into me just, like, fangirling over Clark. That's it. That's all I'm gonna do.
0: (laughs) It's cool. I get it. (laughs) I think most people listening would be like, yeah, me too, man. But yeah, it's so great because, of course, like, they drag Queen Naya in at the beginning of episode four. She's chained and... She's not put off by the fact that she's in chains, and there's that weird moment where she's, like, eyeing Clark as she's walking by. <laughs> like, oh, there's the one I want to kill.
1: <laughs> one Hedda.
0: <laughs> but she's she's there basically to... First of all, I'm, I'm curious how they captured her.
1: <laughs> I mean, she was meeting with a bunch of other people, like, just outside the walls of Polis, apparently. So. I guess so, but it's
0: just... <laughs> Did she surrender herself? I almost wonder, since she had the alliance going outside the I mean I don't know I mean, I don't think she
1: tried very hard to hide. I think was the probably true. I don't think she was trying to keep it from happening. Her goal obviously was to get there and depose Lexa,
0: probably true, but she does she goes in there and she challenges Lexa's competence, and they have the little vote and basically Clark is the only one standing between Naya and overthrowing Lexa.
1: And that isn't even very effective because Naya essentially goes, we don't recognize you as a member of our coalition.
0: Yes, but the coalition recognized her. Well <laughs> I mean if it wasn't for that, they wouldn't have had to go to the fight to the death. Yes.
1: Yes. And that's the that to me is like it's sort of the essence of politics, right? Is and one of the one of the cool things about watching Lexa be this sort of phenomenal political leader that she is above and beyond being being a warrior and being being the commander you know this is a woman who united the 12 clans like she she's not dumb (laughs) and uh sort of gets right to the heart of the heart of the matter and is clearly operating sort of several steps ahead in this massive game of political chess and that's that's sort of interesting to to see the move counter move is always very interesting to me
0: yeah it's like if i wasn't in love with lexa by this episode. Certainly this was the one that did it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Clark too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. (laughs) But I like that we saw that Clark tried to, I mean, did a lot to try to keep Lexa in power. I mean, in addition to voting to keep her, or rather not voting to kick her out, I guess, really. We see her go and approach Rowan, and Rowan's like, I can't help you.
1: Rowan says he can't do it but he can help her do it. This is very right. important to me.
0: <laughs> yes, pardon me. <laughs> I misspoke.
1: Sorry. I love Rowan. He's he's still one of my top new characters.
0: <laughs> I actually have questions about exactly how much Rowan knew what was going on by the time he actually fought Lexa. Did he throw the fight or did he not?
1: No, I don't I, think he would have. I don't thrown the fight.
0: think he did, but because he had that conversation with Clark where he's like, Maybe I can help you. So I just I don't know. It was a passing thought as I rewatched.
1: No, no, no. I think he he I mean he helps her plan to try to poison Naya. Right. Which which does come later in the episode. Before we tangent off into talking about Rowan, which I will definitely do. <laughs> I just wanna talk about Clark trying to save Lexa, because she does work with Lexa to try to keep her in power. Like, that's obviously the goal. She wants Lexa to stay in power. Lexa has committed herself, right? There was the whole swearing of fealty. She's committed herself to protecting Clark and, and, and her people. I just want to point out, and it's, again, like, I love the political maneuvering. I always will. When Lexa essentially explains to clark why there's zero danger of her people being at risk that she doesn't have to worry about her people no matter what happens to lexa her people will be taken care of clark does eventually break and say this isn't just about my people right i think she does genuinely believe that rowan is going to kill lexa and she doesn't want to see lexa die and i love all of the layers in that so much
0: right because obviously there is political concern but also obviously that's not the only concern
1: right exactly and we talked about that in our last podcast as well all of the layers right everything they do is political and also personal and I think that's really fun to watch and interesting it's interesting to see Clark like not wanting to admit it basically (laughs) like kind of hiding behind this from it's for my people right this which became a running joke in the fandom
0: (laughs) it's still funny to me
1: for me it will never not be funny
0: (sighs) I actually love that whole scene, though, (laughs) because Clark, like, storms into the the throne room, and there are children there. (laughs) Yeah. And Lexa's more casual than we've ever seen Lexa be.
1: (laughs) All, like, kicked back on her
0: throne, legs crossed, chit-chatting with the kids, you know. (laughs) No armor at all. It's weird. Yeah. And Clark's face is just like, what the hell?
1: (laughs) (laughs) She's so taken aback. It's really wonderful. (laughs) Actually... In Watch the Thrones, in that episode, every scene with Clark and Lexa in the throne room, I think there were two or three of them, I enjoy it so much because it's all the layers of these characters pitted against one another and woven together in all the ways that they are all at once. Like That's what those scenes are. And it's so fascinating to watch. The push-pull of their their personal relationship and the push pull of their political relationship and the the headbutting that comes about from who Clark is as a person and who Lexa is as a person. I just really love the depth and density of those scenes and of course Eliza and Alicia are phenomenal individually and then even more so together in in those scenes and it's it's just to me that's the best stuff that's happened on this show.
0: I agree with you. I do. They're so, so utterly watchable, especially together. Yeah. Fascinating.
1: Yeah. And I just, ugh,
0: all the big and little things, right? I love
1: Lex's like wry smile as she's like, see, nothing to worry about. And Clark is just furious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Like, stop being so cavalier about you maybe dying. Right. And Lex is like, well, you
1: said you're just worried about your people. So your people are going to be fine. See, it's going to be fine. And Clark is like, because now she has to admit that it's not just about her people. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Oh, what great characters and so well played and such hefty, lovely moments. Wonderful. Do we want to talk about Rowan now?
0: (laughs) Uh, Sure. Can I stop you? No.
1: (laughs) I would stop if you told me to.
0: I'm kidding. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, off of all of that, my second favorite character to see Clark interact with is Rowan, to be perfectly honest. Um, Because, again, of the sort of richness of those characters and how they conflict. And I don't think anything will ever be cooler to me than the scene where Clark comes to Rowan and he... Whirls his sword and, like, points it at her. She has her hood on and he goes, Is that death I hear stalking me? She flips her hood back. Or just the commander of death. It's such a good moment for both of them. And, and I, I love that they kind of give them this sort of sassy political back and forth. is really great.
0: <laughs> sassy political back and forth. That's what it is. <laughs> I was just wondering if that phrase had ever been used before.
1: <laughs> I hope so. If not, I'm coining it right now. Sassy political back and forth.
0: Okay. Anything else about Rowan?
1: It is interesting to me all of the layers between him and Naya.
0: Yes, I actually have so many questions about what exactly happened there.
1: Not good things, apparently.
0: (laughs) So it would seem. Well, because actually part of it was I was never quite sure exactly what the circumstances were of Rowan's banishment. Like, who banished him?
1: Nobody knows. (laughs) We have not been informed of this information.
0: (laughs) It's true. It's just, I was reading commentary online at one point, and I forget exactly what it was that they'd written, but I was like, that is completely not how I interpreted what happened. (laughs) And then I went back and watched it again, and it's like, I'm still not actually sure what actually happened. Oh,
1: to get him banished? Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. They never tell us.
0: Well, because it was, I think, I think whatever I was reading was talking about how Lexa had banished him, but then I was like, I'd kind of gotten the impression that the Queen had banished him, but then it's like, I just, I don't know.
1: (laughs) We don't know. Maybe we'll never know. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Yeah, I... I, uh... I don't think there's a good answer to that. I know people have argued that Lexa banished him because he went to her to get his banishment lifted. But I would contend that if Lexa is the commander of the 12 clans, she could lift a banishment from one of her clan leaders. So conceivably, it could have been Queen Naya. And I know Clark does say when they're talking, you know, how long until she finds some other reason to banish you. Mm, mm -hmm. Which, you know, could just be Clark playing her cards the way Clark does. But right. I don't know. Who knows? Not me.
0: Anyway, all to, to say that, yes, I'm very curious about what exactly was going on between Naya and Rowan, that, that Naya would be like, yes, I will sacrifice my son, maybe.
1: Well, I mean, he does, like, clearly they don't have a good <laughs> mother-son relationship.
0: <laughs> I would think not.
1: <laughs> he does say something like, you've never done anything for me. Don't pretend you are now.
0: is such a jerk. <laughs>
1: She is. <laughs> we were we were all bound to hate her, given that she cut off Costia's head. Well, sure, um,
0: that's not a great introduction character. No,
1: no, not really. Um, <laughs> but I, I I found it kind of oddly reassuring that Rowan also apparently was like, "You're a terrible person." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really all I have about Rowan. Unless we want to talk about how great that fight scene was, because talk about a really cool fight scene.
0: Yes, let's talk about that fight scene because it was it was pretty good. I liked it a lot.
1: It it was such a brutal fight scene, which you don't always get in. Well, you, frankly, you don't always get brutal fight scenes when women are one part of the fight. <laughs> and I appreciated that they sort of pulled no punches in any of it, and it was it was quite quite excellent.
0: Especially impressive, since I'm pretty sure Alicia Debnam-Carey said it was like the first major fight scene like that that she'd ever done. Yeah, yeah. Although
1: she was a dancer, so right. That helps, from what I hear. I haven't actually done a fight scene myself. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I have heard that also, and from seeing other dancers do fight scenes, it's like, yes, that's a definite advantage. Yeah, but,
1: I'm sure. I'm sure.
0: But still, she's wielding swords and stuff. That's I'm Two impressed. Two of them
1: at once. It was pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, the fight scene was was really really cool and incredibly well shot. I will say, like, massive props to the cinematographer. Such a such a well done fight. Especially on, I mean, uh, you know, there's a a lot of other budget concerns on a sci-fi show, and and I appreciate that they clearly spent the time and the money to to do it right. Right. Which was really, really cool to see, because it was such a pivotal moment. It's the first time we see Lexa fight.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've seen her prepare to fight a couple times. We've seen her stab some people. Kick somebody off a balcony, but not solo gunplay. I'm so glad you said that, because if you didn't, I was going to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know more Trigetta slang at this point than I know either of the two languages I studied in school.
1: <laughs> That's fair. Actually, tangent, someone asked that question to uh, David Peterson, who who created language. And one of the things he said was that it's one of the most one of the most spoken languages of all the languages he's created, and he's created sh- languages for shows like Game of Thrones and all kinds of big big name
0: defiance defiance.
1: Yeah. And he said one of the things he thinks is an is a factor is that because it is rooted in English, that it's easier to pick up mm, for mm-hmm. English speakers than any of his other languages. So he said actually more people actually speak Tregeta Slang than any of his other languages he's ever created, which I think is really cool. Anyway, sorry, random tangent,
0: oh, so since we're talking about Trigetta slang anyway, I love the line, I like heda no, no, throw down good eye, yeah, I no, love no that throw line. Down good eye.
1: yeah, so good, and Titus's face <laughs> was great too.
0: <laughs> I actually really enjoyed Titus's reactions to like everything in this episode because there's that yeah. moment when she's maybe gonna lose the fight and and he just like, like collapses back into his chair. <laughs> And I was like, "Oh, I feel bad for Titus for yeah. maybe the first time."
1: <laughs> yeah, really, um, the only time,
0: um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: pretty much. Yeah, I want to. One thing to point out, I guess there's there's so much to point out about <laughs> Watch the Thrones. One thing to point out about the fight scene is Titus does say at the beginning, "There's only one rule: someone must die today,"
0: which is such foreshadowing,
1: <laughs> super duper foreshadowing.
0: Like, a, you know, watching it the first time, it's like, "Oh, I know what's gonna happen."
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And it did happen, and it was awesome.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes.
0: Take that, Queen Naya. Sorry, go ahead.
1: (laughs) No, I was just going to point out that, once again, I love the personal and political motivation, right? That Lexa has a score to settle, a blood debt to be paid, and I just really enjoy that. But also, that was the right political move, right? That, you know, Naya is a threat to her politically, and putting, you know, killing her in putting Rowan in as king gives her someone who is loyal to her coalition as the ruler of the azgeda And like, it was just, again, all of the layers, right. All in the decision-making that Lexa does is so fascinating to me. And I really enjoy that. They, they give her so much political savvy and so much political weight while also allowing her to be a person and have, you know, have things she needs or wants because she's human.
0: Right. And that's what makes it so satisfying, right. Is, this threat is gone, plus there's the revenge aspect. It's good. I yeah. like it. It's a good moment. And she's such a jerk.
1: <laughs> she really is.
0: Cause there's the whole thing earlier too, when Clark goes to try and get her to poison herself and instead she's having Untouri bleed all over Clark's face. That
1: to me was the like that was the moment I was like, why are you so rude? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep, that's why. Like, you made Antari cut open her own hand and then put blood all over Clark's face? Like, that's just rude. I mean, above (laughs) and beyond being a mean person who murdered Kostya and we all hate you for it. Above and beyond that, that's just rude. Like, who does that? It's true. It's true. Also overly dramatic. Let's be real.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's like she knows she's on a TV show.
1: (laughs) She's become self-aware.
0: But then Queen Naya dies with a spear through the chest. And yeah. then the next episode starts. Or do we want to talk about the, the scene in Clark's bedroom first? Oh, no. No, you don't <sighs> want to talk about it? Okay. I, I do. It just gets me every time. <laughs> it's a It's a good scene. I have a lot of feelings about that scene.
1: It's such a feelings-heavy scene. It's so sweet and so human. Again, like... Anytime you put Clark and Lexa in a room, especially when they're going head-to-head, whether that's politically or personally, it just is so rich and fascinating and multilayered.
0: But what's great to me, too, here I was talking about how earlier there's that scene with Lexa talking to the Nightbloods and how she was as casual as we'd ever seen her. She's more casual here because mm. she's in a nightgown. She just looks like a girl. <laughs> she's just a young woman. With a crazy slit in her nightgown, but still. <laughs> she's like in a nightgown, she's not even wearing shoes. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> it's just so weird, especially since that's the first we see her after. Oh, the other thing that I totally forgot to mention with the fight scene. The fight scene ends with everybody in the crowd chanting HEDA and then they have like the great hero shot of Lexa. Mm-hmm. It's just like my favorite thing. <laughs>
1: It was a spectacular shot, and, and again, the sun like,
0: in the background.
1: Gonna keep harping on it. That is a powerful statement to make. To put a woman in that role is a very powerful statement to make, right? You don't see women get the hero shot after like fighting an all-out, you know, solo gunplay battle. It's it's spectacular to see that, and and to to see that kind of strength portrayed for a female character is great. I love it.
0: It's in my top five favorite things ever wow (laughs) maybe I don't know
1: I'm not one to talk Clark is in my top five everything's ever just everything about Clark so
0: (laughs) (laughs) but I love it when shows do that where they give this sort of like dramatic hero moment yeah especially to young women I love it
1: yeah it's satisfying to me it's really great
0: they do it on Supergirl all the time and it makes me just deliriously happy
1: we can't start talking about other shows Chris
0: I love Supergirl and I just got caught up today (laughs) I'm just saying. Throw it out there.
1: Oh, so good.
0: Anyway, back to... um,
1: Clark's bedroom.
0: Yeah, back to Clark's bedroom. <laughs> um, I don't know what that was. Inappropriate,
1: Chris. <laughs> but also, yeah, that's exactly what's happening in Clark's bedroom. <laughs> so, Lexa, I, I... Once again, like, everything with Lexa and Clark is so weirdly adversarial in one way or another. <laughs> and i do that that the the sort of the back and forth man is this i told you so this is thank you i'm
0: like guys <laughs> <laughs> why are you so great <laughs> but yeah i mean I, there's there's just there's something about clark that i think is perpetually about challenging everybody yes you know every conversation clark has there's like a challenge in it it yes. feels like to me
1: yes you may be the chancellor, but I'm in charge. <laughs> that's all I think
0: and of. And it it always kind of hurts my heart whenever she's like that with Abby, because I'm like, but Abby loves you, and that's why she's expressing these concerns. And, like, I get why Clark is pushing back against it, but at the same time, I'm just like, she's your mom and she loves you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be mean, Clark.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's It's fundamental to Clark's nature. I mean, she is, she's a force of nature. And that's, fascinating to watch with someone especially with someone like lexa right who is calculated and not We, I, mean, I don't think we would th- ever think of her as unbridled you know she's very no, calm she's, and- she's
0: calm and she's certain
1: yes certain is a good word nice
0: thank you <laughs> but yeah there's just there's something very sort of i don't know steady about lexa which is I think what also contributes to her scenes with Clark being so interesting and so very very watchable because Clark is not like that. Clark is a little bit unpredictable in the sense that I mean you know she's going to try and manipulate the situation to her advantage, but you don't necessarily know what tactic she's going to take to get there.
1: <laughs> yeah, and she's such a she's such a force of nature, she's such a whirlwind. You know, she kind of comes sweeping in and and I I love what eliza taylor has done with clark's walk the way clark moves clark moves like a force of nature um she comes sweeping into rooms you know she stalks through hallways it's it's great and seeing that sort of juxtaposed against lexa's innate stillness is is really cool to watch um i'm gonna point out though there was never gonna be anything cuter than little baby lexa being awkward and cute and uncomfortable in Clark's room,
0: <laughs> she's so sweet in that scene, <laughs> sort of she's... sitting demurely with her with her hands in her lap and just oh, <laughs> and her hair down, and
1: the way she looks around nervously, like oh, it gets me every time <laughs> like, oh.
0: again, like this is the episode where it's like if you're not in love with her by now, it's never gonna happen,
1: yeah, yeah. That scene was, it was, it was meant to give us Clark and Lexa and, and to remind us that Clark and Lexa are for, someone, someone posted about this, um, in reference to a scene in a later episode. And they said, sometimes I forget that they're actually teenagers in love. And this scene was so much meant to be, yes, it carried the weight of heavy things. Yes. They talked about betrayal and how you move on from that. Um, yes, there was a lot of layers, but at its core, right, it was to two people who care for one another and are struggling with that. And that's so neat to watch all of all of the weight of their political positions fall away and and to see them be very 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 human with one another in this very intimate way was was excellent.
0: Mhm. So many feelings.
1: So good. And also I have a theory that this is my theory. My theory It's not even a theory. It's a headcanon. I'm going to believe it forever. I don't care if it's ever proved wrong. (laughs) My headcanon is that that was the first time Lexa had ever come to Clark's quarters and like spent, they had like spent downtime together. And I think that kickstarted them spending tons of downtime together because then in Bitter Harvest at the beginning of Bitter Harvest, they're, they're just like hanging out in Lexa's room.
0: (laughs) Except they're not even hanging out because Lexa has fallen asleep. But, like, that's my point is like,
1: they, they, it's not like they were talking about matters of state. Like, Lexa apparently conked out while reading. Right. And Clark was drawing, I guess. So they so were just. So domestic. Like, being in the same room
0: together, apparently.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which is so cute for the record. And super domestic. And I, my, my entire world now revolves around the idea that it all began with this first time that Lexa comes to Clark after this massive battle. And. They have this very sweet sort of scene where Clark is taking care of Lexa. And I buy that. They're having this intense conversation about whatever, and then rush out Peta. Oh. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I buy that. I subscribe to your headcanon. So there you go. That's my...
1: From then on, it was like whenever they had downtime, they would just spend spend it together. That's what I've decided.
0: <sighs> but then in the next episode, next episode starts off with them taking Queen Naya's body back to Arcadia... Which I think is kind of great and awesome, also, and they have that sort of nice exchange while they're on their way back, and yeah, and Lex is kind of smiling again, and it's it's like weird and great. <laughs> it's
1: so cute. There's no other word for it. I keep trying to find some other word because that feels a bit condescending. But they're so cute, <laughs> and like, yeah. Is there ever going to be anything more adorable than the like young people who like each other and smile at each other and? try not to talk about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> they also have a really interesting and spectacular conversation in terms of Clark, which I really enjoy about, you know, she's grappling with where her home is and where she belongs. And that to me is a really, it's it's been, I think, a big question for Clark for a long time.
0: I remember thinking about that. I think it was maybe even the episode before about where Clark considers home, because I mean, she's been in Polis. And before yeah. that, she was roaming the wilderness and yeah it's like would she even be able to go back to arcadia and and just settle in there like it just doesn't seem like it would be possible at this point to me
1: no i mean i can't imagine that i mean she left and i and i don't think i know people have speculated like oh she needs some space i don't i think clark never intended to come back hmm. i think she left and she was done and she actually says that to alexa in one of their early confrontations in Polis after she's been brought to Polis, she says, I I left and I don't want to do this anymore. And Lexa tells her you can't escape this. And, and I think it's in in that time that Clark realizes that she can't get away from who she is, from being Juan Hedda and all that that means. And um, but I, I think she left. I don't think she was ever going to be I don't think she was ever going to go back.
0: Interesting, which is also interesting because she does go back later that episode. And I mean, secretively, right? But she does, and it doesn't go that well. No, and the whole situation with Bellamy, and I just i I don't know where to start with you, Bellamy Blake.
1: (laughs) So, some friends of mine and I got into that weird thing where we were trying to figure out who would be who on the show, and Mm -hmm. I apparently am Bellamy.
0: This was before season three started, I assume.
1: This was well before season three started. And as season three has progressed, I am, like, personally offended at Bellamy Blake's behavior. <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, Bellamy, you're giving us a bad name, <laughs> and you need to stop.
0: <laughs> I've noticed there there was some, I don't know, internet chatter somewhere. Bellamy fans have decided that there are three separate Bellamy's. <laughs> I saw something about that. <laughs> they have different names. I forget what they are. But- it's like
1: Boris. They're all B names. I can't. Right. I can't remember them. I only remember Boris. That's the only one I remember.
0: Me too. But I think season two is the one they call Bellamy, which I think is the one everybody likes most, right? Everybody likes season two Bellamy, the best of the three versions of Bellamy, Bellamy, well, the three seasons of Bellamy.
1: The thing is, season two is when Bellamy became a hero. Right. He wasn't before. And then he became one. And that that is a great story to watch. So it's been for people who really loved his evolution into a hero and a leader, it it's been very hard to watch his fall.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean for, for me. I I guess during the first two episodes maybe of this season maybe still in hero mode, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I've I've described Bellamy this way before. In the first couple episodes of the season, it felt like he had tried to like step into this giant hole that Clark had left. And I want to I want to be clear. There are people who are like Clark left and she deserved to leave and it was okay and, and I'm like I can absolutely see – I would be pissed if I was Bellamy and my partner in crime who had been helping me basically, like, take care of these kids left right. after going through the trauma together. Because they went through that trauma together, right? It wasn't just Clark. Which is not to say people shouldn't go and take care of themselves, not to say whatever. But it was a selfish thing to do, which doesn't make it evil, but it was selfish. And I could see – To me, at least, I imagine those three months of Bellamy, and I I refer to him this way a lot, of him sort of straining at his greatest reach, trying to bridge this massive hole that Clark has left in their people. And I, I, you know, I think the strain was too much, and he just broke at some point.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I get that. It it is one of those things, like, I get it, Clark, and I support that decision, you know, if you have to make that decision for yourself okay but yeah it does affect the people around you and it you know it's not good for them and because there is very much in season two especially this relationship where clark and bellamy are supporting each other and if two people are basically leaning on each other if one of them stops leaning the other one falls over yes (laughs) you know
1: which is what happens to bellamy yep (laughs) yep And that's so hard to watch. And it's, it's, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It's disappointing to me. I wish they had taken him a different direction rather than that. But yeah, it is what it is. The story goes where it goes.
0: But yeah. So anyway, so there's the scene between Clark and Bellamy and Clark's making her impassioned speech to Bellamy and and talking about how she and Lexa did their part to help try and prevent everything from getting worse. And, of course, Bellamy's not helping any, and Bellamy's gonna turn Clark in, and I I just don't even know where to go with that, Bellamy. I just, I'm disappointed in you.
1: <laughs> we are all disappointed in you, Bellamy Blake. <laughs> all of us. Yeah. My only note on that scene is that, I don't know, I guess I like to give shout-outs to actors, but Bob Morley and Eliza Taylor- nailed that scene to me it was so it was awful to watch right because you're watching clark pouring her heart out right in a way she doesn't really do with anyone else and um bellamy just like is there and angry and then understanding and then handcuffs her to a desk
0: (laughs) yeah which is such a jerk move bellamy
1: (laughs) which was not cool (laughs) yeah
0: it's like i i I don't think he was insincere in in his being comforting or whatever, or understanding or whatever you want to call it. I don't know that he was being insincere, but the fact that he then handcuffs her, I just, not cool, man.
1: Yeah, I don't think he was being insincere. I think they had a, a, very, <laughs> a very frank um, outpouring of emotion, and I think they were both being pretty honest there. The thing about Bellamy, though, is that I he's at that point where he, no matter how sad he may be about it, he feels like this is the right thing to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is the part, I think, that is so disappointing to all of us right. <laughs> about Bellamy, is we're like, why would you... This is not the right thing to do, Bellamy, you've made the wrong choice here.
0: What is it's just like, <laughs> has he not been paying attention to anything that Pike has done? Because... I mean in all likelihood at the very least Clark is getting thrown in with Lincoln and the grounders. Right. Right? I mean I don't know where else that would go.
1: Well, and more likely Clark is in danger of being tortured for information about the about the grounder army, you know what I mean? Right. Like that seems a, a a incredibly likely danger.
0: And I mean Lexa even says to her before she goes, if it was me, I would have you killed. You've been living with their enemy.
1: Yeah, so that's not cool. But Bellamy does a lot of not cool things in this episode. Many, 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 many not cool things. He says some really horrible things to Octavia.
0: Which is also, like, on that level of, like, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. What happened to you, man? Really? I say as if we didn't see some of it happening, but...
1: (laughs) But also, like, why did you respond this way? Ugh. What are you going to do? Bellamy's making some bad choices in life and kind of just wait it out.
0: Yeah. But what I loved about that, that sequence of Clark being in Arcadia is that once she shock lashes Bellamy, which was kind of satisfying after the whole handcuffing thing.
1: Yes. <laughs> I'm going to be honest,
0: it was, it was satisfying for me. And she and Octavia run back and then there's Abby finally, right? Mm. And I love that scene. But I always love, well, as aforementioned, I love every Abby scene pretty much. But like Abby and Clark scenes, I just, I always have a lot of feelings about them. And what I loved about this one is that Clark very often is sort of stiff and unwelcoming to Abby's attempts at affection. Yeah. (laughs) But she wasn't at all here. And it just, it made me feel much better about it even though yeah. horrible things were happening, and everybody was in danger. But I'm like, oh, Clark does care. And Clark actually goes so far as to ask Abby to come with her. Yeah. I, uh,
1: mm. And I think some of it is that, you know, Clark has to know that Lexa is going to destroy her people. That's coming. And so I think she wants, she wants Abby to come with her so she can protect her.
0: Well, I'm sure it's that in combination with the fact that clearly they're against Pike. The current administration is in opposition to her mom. So they're not safe within their walls, even. True. Very, so, very true. Yeah.
1: Lots of reasons. That is an incredibly sweet scene. I love that thing that Paige Turco has done that Where is she like
0: puts her hands on Clark's face. Yeah, like cradles her face <laughs> in her hands. And
1: it's such a mom thing.
0: I know. I love it.
1: And I love that that's, like, their thing. That's a thing she does with Clark, you know? It's just, it's great.
0: And strokes her thumbs on her cheekbones. Oh, so sweet.
1: Shall we talk about the tent scene?
0: Yes, let us talk about the tent scene. Because that was a good scene. All of the tent scenes were pretty, uh, pretty good. Again,
1: when you put Clark and Lexa in these <laughs> scenarios, they're the best part of the show. Let's be honest here. Like
0: With added doses of Indra and occasionally Octavia, yeah, who are also amazing and you wonderful. You can't get better than and that. The only way to get better would be if you
1: added Lincoln into that mix. True. In my I opinion. I like Lincoln
0: too. But I mean, how great is it, though, that there's a scene of like four awesome badass ladies?
1: I've totally just remembered that when that scene was happening... Someone tweeted about that, about like talk about passing the Bechtel test or something like that, and I retweeted it. And I only remember this because Jason ended up retweeting it, and I ended up with like a news f- or a activity feed clogged <laughs> with retweets. And I retweeted it and said, "The hundred doesn't pass the Bechtel test; it blows it up," mm. which is what that scene feels like, right? Because you have Indra. Alexa, Octavia, and Clark. You have there's not a man in sight, and they're talking about the future of the coalition and these people.
0: They're talking and, about the possibility of war.
1: <laughs> yeah, like it's it was so good. I was like, this is cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Does it blow up the Bechtel test Raven Reyes style?
1: See, and someone <laughs> said Raven likes explosives, and I was like, yes. <laughs> Clearly, Raven Reyes created a Bechtel test pipe bomb and just detonated it on that scene. <laughs> I don't know. That metaphor got weird. It did. It did. I wasn't going to comment on it, but it did.
0: <laughs> anyway, let's talk about the scene, though.
1: Yeah. So Lex's challenge to Clark. I mean, the whole scene is so good. Lex's challenge to Clark. Well, Clark, have you found a way to save your people yet again?
0: I know. I love that line.
1: And Clark just, oh. And the call back to 208. No, only you can do that. Ugh, so good. Which is the same thing she said to Lexa when she first was trying to stop Lexa from killing Finn in 208.
0: Ah, parallels.
1: Yeah, but then, but then, but then, (laughs) Clark does this whole speech, and it's a great speech, and then (laughs) Lexa does it.
0: (laughs) You're so excited, it's hilarious to me. I almost fell out of my chair. I was so excited about that story.
1: So here's the thing I have said. I'm going to let you talk soon, Chris. I promise. I realize I've been talking for a long time now. It's I cool. get really excited cool. about this scene. <laughs> here's the thing I have said, and I've said it for a long time, and I keep like a running list, actually, of reasons that justify this thing, which is that the appeal of The 100 as a TV show to me is that it is a very dark incredibly dangerous post-apocalyptic show. And it is about hope. That's what the show is about. It's about the hope for humanity to be better than our baser instincts. And I've grappled with that a little bit in season three, actually, because they, it feels like they've been getting away from that. Hopefully they return to it. I don't know if they will, but this scene, this moment was this moment of immense hope And I was so excited about that idea for someone like Lexa to exert her authority to say we will not perpetuate the cycle of violence was such an awesome thematic thing to watch. Mm -hmm. And that's why I was so excited. And I'm done now.
0: (laughs) Did you fall out of a chair finally? (laughs) I didn't. I'm still in my chair. I did lean back very heavily for anyone who's curious. (laughs) But no, I'm I'm with you 100% on that because a post apocalyptic tv show that's so so dark that has no appeal for me like in and of itself like that's that's been done a dozen times and i'm tired of it <laughs> but that Amen. actually yeah that maybe explains to me <laughs> why it is that i've i've become so obsessed with this show because it is not like all those other shows and yeah And and this whole idea that it is, like, it's mostly these young women who are, you know, determining the fate of everyone and are trying to change the world for the better. So cool. Got a lot of feelings about it.
1: I hear ya. (laughs) (laughs) I hear ya. I will say that was the moment that I became afraid for Lex's life because people who advocate for peace on The Hundred do not last long. (laughs) It's true. And I so it was as like triumphant as that moment felt for me, I also like had this seed of fear planted inside of me where I was like, No, Lexa. Because well, and Indra says, I mean, Indra basically brings us back to that that reality, right? Where she right. says Polis will not accept this, Titus will not accept it, and and um you just have this moment of realizing that Lexa's place as a leader can be very tenuous in some ways and that she's risking her life on on the hope of peace that was kind of a downer
0: it was like I just I don't even know where to go from there and then the episode
1: ends on that and we get to feel stressed for a week
0: yes, on this blood must not have blood
1: blood must not have blood
0: but then we get to episode six and there's Emerson in a box what that's what happened Oh Emerson in a box. <laughs> I can't believe they put Emerson in a box. (laughs) And I just, like, I can't believe that they opened the box and there's Emerson, and then he immediately sees Clark and attacks her as if that's somehow a good idea in a room full of guards.
1: Yeah. I don't think he was. (laughs) I don't think there's anything rational in that move. He just. I know. (laughs) Just rage, which. I know. I I mean, I kind of understand, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was never going to end well for him.
0: Certainly not. Let's talk about Emerson, the last mountain man. Yeah. Hey, by the way, just going to point out
1: the 100 writers. Nice job with all of the naming. Like Juan Heda, (laughs) the commander of death, the last mountain man. Like that's intense stuff.
0: (laughs) They do like their grandiose titles. Yeah,
1: they do. The commander of the blood. It's all very dramatic. I like it. The Emerson Clark story is by far one of my favorites and it's it's wrapped up in this idea of blood must have blood or not that they hit on so intensely at the end of the last episode and this entire episode becomes about that in one way or another where clark now is faced with being asked are her morals only there when she finds it convenient for them to be right and right. what do you do when you're faced with them with either adhering to what you are saying is morally right or getting revenge
0: and this is the storyline that made us say hey let's do a podcast yeah
1: it's such a great storyline
0: because i think you and i were so engrossed in this story as it was airing that yeah as soon as the episode was over you and i started messaging each other it's like let's do it
1: yeah, that was, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. We were, we were like, we have to talk about all this.
0: <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about this.
1: Yeah. They must and, go and, on the internet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> must place my feelings on the internet for all to see. Or um, here, in this case. But yeah, yes. Good
1: point. The uh, I appreciate the storyline of, of how Lexa and Clark challenge one another. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there is Titus doing his Titus thing.
0: I actually found that really really interesting that Agreed. We've seen Titus sort of balk at a lot of the stuff that Lexa has been doing lately. So for him to go behind Lexa's back and go directly to Clark was interesting. Yeah. Let's let's go with interesting.
1: <laughs> it was it was it was incredibly interesting and it was it was it was such an ambiguous conversation because Titus in that moment is intending to sound reasonable and kind, even. But, I mean, his obvious goal is to manipulate Clark into maintaining Jushtrain down, right? That he wants to maintain the blood-must-have-blood status quo, and that Lexa is trying to change.
0: And then Clark says, hey, wait a second, I'm the one who does the manipulating.
1: Indeed. (laughs) In true Clark Griffin fashion... (laughs)
0: No, you don't manipulate me. I manipulate you. <laughs>
1: yes. Yes. A couple of things I want to hit on, which made this so intense and was the reason I think you and I ended up yelling at each other over <laughs> over <laughs> messages. As we do. Clark and... Indeed. <laughs> as we do frequently. Clark and Emerson, every scene with them, with Emerson sort of chained to a pole, and this... Clark coming face-to-face with the manifestation of her worst demons. All of that and the culmination in the last scene where she says, I don't know if killing you would bring me peace, I just know I don't deserve it, is like, I don't even know how to describe the level of thematic depth there was (laughs) in everything that happened in this episode in Polis. Yeah. That's such a rich storyline and it's such a such a dark discussion, but an important one.
0: Yeah, there are many layers to that answer, even, the that Clark gives him, because it's like if she gets rid of Emerson the Last Mountain Man, like it's over, you know? She won't have that reminder potentially, won't have that living reminder of what happened there. And yeah, I just Oh it's so complicated and it makes my brain and my feelings hurt.
1: Yeah. I mean that's <laughs> the that's just great TV. Honestly, I mean it's just great storytelling. It, it, it's it's the way that it sort of pulls at you, you know, and you have to and 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 the the levels and layers to that are to me so massively important and fascinating and enjoyable. You know, he at one point, he sort of <laughs> rails at her about how his his torment will end, you know, and she has to live with this. And then ultimately, she decides not to kill him. So at the same time, as she is offering him his life and giving him his life and showing some form of mercy, at the same time, there's something it's not even, really mercy, right? It's even more brutal in some way to leave him to live with that. And that, oh, that line, that line haunts me. The line and the look on her face when she steps up to him and says, may you live forever, kills me every time. It's such a concise, undiluted Clark Griffin moment of mercy and vengeance and manipulation and the sort of ultimate checkmate. And it just gets me, man. I just, that line haunts me still to this day.
0: (laughs) It's not been that long, but yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's been weeks at this point. (laughs) It's a TV show. A line shouldn't haunt you that long. (laughs) Then you aren't watching the right TV shows. (laughs) So true. So true. Or you're not watching them with enough intensity. So everybody kind of like ratchet that up, please.
0: (laughs) But yeah, it's one of those things, too. I was having a conversation with one of my friends, actually one of my other co-hosts, about how Clark Griffin, like, really holds a grudge. So, there's, like, that in there, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Clark doesn't have a lot of forgiveness in her. My impression of Clark is she's one of those people who trusts very deeply the people she trusts, and so when that is broken, she'll hold a grudge forever, you know?
0: Which, I mean, we've seen to some extent, right? With Lexa. Yeah.
1: yeah. And Wells.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. And her mom.
1: Yeah. Then that makes me think about how she's going to be with Bellamy when she encounters him again, inevitably.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's... I'm curious how that's going to go.
1: Me too. That's a, the kind of betrayal Clark Griffin is not great at letting go of, guys.
0: <laughs> but I mean, we've seen that she she can get past it, though. I mean, she got past it she with can. her mom to some extent, and also with Lexa, so...
1: yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's hard.
0: (laughs) Right, right. I mean, he's going to have to earn it. Yeah. Possibly swear fealty. I don't know.
1: It worked for (laughs) Lexa.
0: It did. So there are some of our thoughts about episodes 304 through 306 of The 100. If you have thoughts about those episodes that you'd like to share with us, or anything else about The 100, really... You can send them to us at feedback at askgenretv.com. You can also tweet us at TV. You can also tweet Dawson, if you want to tweet Dawson, at professorsmind.
1: You can hit me on Tumblr at geekdawson.tumblr.com.
0: Also, if you want to send us a voice message to include in one of our episodes, you can do that by recording a voice memo on your smartphone and emailing it to us at the aforementioned email address. You can also leave us a voicemail at 972 514 7223. Show notes for this episode will be available at slash fan4. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Chris. I'm Dawson. Thank you for listening.